Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about how you go about maximizing your borrowing capacity. Now, over the last year or so, borrowing capacities have reduced by around 30%. Uh, mainly due to two reasons. Uh, Firstly, APRA increased the interest rate buffer that a bank must apply to current interest rates to test your serviceability from 25 to 3%. And then, of course, uh, the central bank, the RBA, has been uh, on a course of dramatically raising interest rates over the last uh, period of time, last uh, eight or nine months. Uh, And that's had a a negative impact on people's borrowing capacities. So what I wanted to do is share a few tips on how to maximise it um, because uh, maximising your your borrowing capacity obviously increases your ability to invest. And if you're investing in great quality assets in the long run, uh, that's going to generate a lot of wealth for you. Now, of course, I've said several times in this podcast that building wealth is a marathon, not a sprint. And whilst it's good to avoid procrastinating and not be too conservative and so forth uh, and invest as much as possible, uh, you should never take silly risks. And when borrowing, it's really wise to really um, plan for the worst and hope for the best. So looking really closely at your spending habits, um, thinking about any potential changes in income and so forth. Don't rely on variable income, at least not completely, like bonuses and and so forth. And make sure you factor in your ability to repay at higher interest rates. Even if you think those higher rates are unlikely, it's always good just to make sure that it's going to work. And as a rule of thumb, I reckon if you're borrowing any more than, say, six to eight times your gross annual income, you've got to start to be careful. That can be a warning sign that you're borrowing too much and you need to really consider the risks and make sure you have an exit strategy if everything goes pear-shaped. The thing is though, in my experience, last 20 years of experience, I think in the main or almost always, it's unnecessary to borrow huge amounts of monies to achieve your goal. And in fact, the portfolios that I've seen with large amount of debt Um, tend to be a consequence of investing in the wrong type of assets, poor quality assets. So I saw one the other day, um, a portfolio of 10 properties with uh, $5.6 million of debt. Uh, And those people were certainly borrowing more than six to eight times their their income. Um, It's just unnecessary. It's unnecessary to have $5.6 million of of lending for those particular clients. They, They were on very healthy incomes, but not massive uh, incomes and it's a lot of risk. Uh, whereas I would much rather have you know one really great quality investment grade property, have one and a half million dollars of of debt uh, against that property, and, and really depending as long as I've got other assets that I'm investing in as well, I probably don't need much more than that because that uh, property, one and a half million dollar property, is going to be worth three million in in ten years and six million in twenty years. So if it's worth $6 million, I've got $4.5 million in equity. Now, $4.5 million in 20 years' time isn't $4.5 million today, of course. But what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is borrow very carefully. Don't over-borrow. Uh, and uh, you've just got to be really conscious of the risk. Now, having said all that, because I think it's really important to put a bit of context around the topic today, um, there's going to be situations where clients 
can afford um, to safely borrow more money, but because of their circumstances, the bank won't allow it uh, because of the way that they calculate your borrowing capacity and serviceability. So uh, the, the point of this podcast then is to help people kind of navigate those situations where you're, you're able and willing and comfortable to borrow more. Uh, and it's really about finding a bank that's going to lend you more. So I've got a bunch of tips here and I'm just going to um, uh, speak through, speak to each one as we go through. Okay, so the first one is use a charge card instead of a credit card. This is a change that my wife and I made a, a few years ago and really after you know many decades of actively investing and using different banks, it, we didn't realise that my wife and I ended up with uh, seven uh, credit cards, you know, somewhere in her name, somewhere in my name. Uh, and notwithstanding that, you know, the, the annual fees on those cards is an incredible waste of money, the aggregate credit limit was well into six figures, you know, well over $100,000. And it was uh, eating into our borrowing capacity because what the bank will do is they'll include a percentage of your credit card limit as a, a monthly expense. So most, most banks around 4% of the credit card limit. So $100,000 of credit card limits meant that we, the bank assumed we had a $4,000 per month uh, repayment commitment because obviously the bank just sits back and thinks, well, if you go and max out those cards, what would your repayment be since they're already in place? And so it can have a pretty big impact on your borrowing capacity. Uh, and since my wife and I repaid the cards in full each month, we weren't really using them as a, a source of credit. They were merely only used really to, to generate points, you know, credit card points. So a few years ago, we, we cancelled all but one of them. We left one, we just used one for business. Uh, and we got a charge card from American Express. And uh, we pay for as many purchases as we can using that American Express uh, card. The advantage is that it's a charge card. It doesn't have a credit limit. So it means a charge card means you've got to repay the balance each month, which we, we did anyway. Uh, and so it means it doesn't have an impact on borrowing capacity. And notwithstanding that, um, we're saving a bit on credit card fees as well. So think about your credit card limits uh, and what impact they might be having on borrowing capacity. And that's one change you might consider making. Okay, my next tip is about changing jobs, particularly if you've got a variable income component. So, you know, many employees will have a variable component of their overall remuneration package um, that's either contingent on personal and or company performance, uh, whether you call that a a bonus, a short-term incentive, STI, whatever name it's going to come under. Uh, most banks will include 80% of bonus income in serviceability as long as you've got two years' worth of history. So the problem then can arise is if you change employers, and whilst you might have, you know, might be doing the same occupational role, if you like, um, and you might have a really long history of earning bonuses, and the intention might be that your your expectation is that the bonus level will be the same at this new employer as well. Uh, until you've got two years of history, most banks won't look at it. Now, if you can demonstrate that you're really in the same occupational role and you've gone, say, from a CFO from one company to a CFO at another company, for example, uh, well, then some banks will just will say, well, as long as we've got one year's worth of history, we're happy with that. The point being that sometimes that, or quite often, that variable income, that bonus income can be quite important in terms of maximising borrowing capacity. 
And so if you are contemplating a change of employment and your remuneration does have a component of variable income, uh, then you might want to consider potentially executing on those borrowing capacity requirements before you make that change or instead realising that there's going to be some period of time uh, until you can maximise your borrowing capacity at your current or your new uh, employer. And the next step, it really relates to people that are self-employed. I mean, there's a myriad of things that accountants might do um, in order to maybe manage or minimise or reduce your tax liabilities that have uh, unknowingly negative consequences with your borrowing capacity. Uh, so, for example, uh, you know, I'll give you a couple of real-life examples for clients that we've been working on. Um, if we've got large depreciation expenses in a business, you know, sometimes you can provide the lender with some support to show that that depreciation, you know, those assets that you've purchased and are depreciating don't need to be replaced for a long period of time, and so they'll add that depreciation back. Um, sometimes structuring, for example, instead of paying out unfranked dividends. Uh, paying out a salary instead of dividends can appease some lenders. Pretty silly, really, but you know that sometimes you just need to do things to comply with lenders' credit policies, uh, even though they don't make a lot of sense. Um, distributing to family members outside of your immediate family. So some clients distribute to parents, for example, uh, obviously to spread that tax burden amongst uh, more taxpayers. Um, but again, some lenders don't particularly like that. So in that situation, we might structure distributions a bit differently. Uh, sometimes prepaying your BAS, uh, so uh, PAYG instalments, um, so that the company has enough franking credits to be able to pay a fully frank dividend in that financial year. You know, if we know we want the borrowing capacity and we want to be able to do that, uh, sometimes that can make a bit of sense. So they're just some examples that I've thought of off the top of my head. The point is that a lot of these matters are quite technical and, you know, most non-accountants and non-brokers, mortgage brokers, won't really pick up the nuances. So that's why it's really important, I think, for your broker and your accountant, your holistic accountant, to speak to each other to make sure whatever they're doing on the accounting side uh, isn't going to limit your borrowing capacity. In addition to that, it's also important to choose the right lender. Some lenders just don't suit um, self-employed people, uh, applicants, I should say. And so um, sometimes it's like trying to fit, fit a, a square peg into a round hole. It just doesn't work. So choosing the right lender is important, but also making sure you're at the front end of it to make sure you're structuring things uh, that, that aren't going to cause any borrowing capacity problems. My next tip is to sort of rein in spending uh, around sort of three to six months before you make an application. You'll have to itemise and declare your living expenses in an application now. So they'll have maybe um, uh, close to sort of 10 different categories that you need to complete in terms of living expenses. Uh, and therefore, um, the bank will sometimes look at your, quite often will look at your, you know, a month's worth of statements to verify that what you've stated is broadly correct. Uh, and so sometimes reducing your spending um, serves two, two purposes. Firstly, you'll be able to declare a lower spending habit on the application form, thereby extending your borrowing capacity. But secondly, and arguably most importantly, it will demonstrate to you, you know, how low can you reduce your expenses? So that way you can make decisions based on that outcome or that information, I should say. So for example, you might decide to borrow a certain amount full well knowing that you might have to cut back your 
the amount of money you spend going out to dinners or something like that. But at least you can proactively, logically make that decision before you make a loan application rather than be forced into that decision uh, after you've actually applied. So cutting back the expenses and really working out what do we have to play with in terms of income to contribute to a loan if we have to uh, is a really prudent thing to do. My next tip is to reset or consider resetting uh, loan terms. If you have a loan that you've uh, taken out a while ago, uh, when you initially took out that loan, it would have most likely had a 30-year loan term. uh, And the longer, the deeper you get into that loan, uh, obviously the shorter the remaining loan period, and that increases your repayments. Uh, And particularly, it's the case if, if you've had a loan and you've made a lot of extra repayments, So the balance is a lot lower than where it was supposed to be had you not made those extra repayments. Um, What the bank will do is the bank tests your serviceability based on the original loan amount uh, and the remaining loan term because that's how principal interest repayments are are contracted within the loan agreement. Now, if if you've had a a $700,000 loan five years ago and the balance is now half a million dollars because you've made extra repayments, um, the repayment amount is going to be sort of maybe around just short of $4,000, assuming the interest rate's around 5%. Now, if you recontract that five that loan, that $500,000 balance, back over to another new 30-year loan term, your minimum repayment's reduced to closer to 2500 so quite a lot lower, and that allows you then more borrowing capacity for you know, any new borrowings and so forth. Even though you recontracted that loan over 30 years, it doesn't stop you from making extra repayments. So if you just want to keep repaying that loan as fast as you can, and if it's a home loan, that's exactly what you should be doing, uh, you can still do that. But but thinking about your loan terms uh, and how much they have an impact on your existing commitment amount uh, can also extend your borrowing capacity. Which kind of brings me into my next tip, which is really about interest-only terms. So uh, a home loan is normally has a 30-year loan term, and if you have an interest-only home loan, what they do is they chop that loan up into two segments. So the first five years is interest-only, and the remaining period is 25 years. It just means that you've got to repay that loan over a 25-year period, which increases the principal interest repayment amount. So to extend your borrowing capacity, you might instead ask for a two-year interest-only period, because that gives you 28 years to repay the loan, or in fact, um, have a completely principal interest loan. Now, of course, that's not going to serve everyone. And you've got to think about what happens when the interest only term expires. And it might not suit everyone to have repayments on a principal interest basis. But the interest only term does have an impact on maximising your borrowing capacity. So that can be something you can think about, even as as a temporary change. Some other quick tips I can mention is car leases. Car leases can have, you know, large monthly repayment amounts and that can have an impact, negative impact on borrowing capacity. So if you think about upgrading your car, maybe do that after you've made any changes to mortgages. Um, If you have a hex debt or what's called a help debt now, you know, if you're a younger person and still have that debt that relates to university studies, uh, sometimes it's better to repay that debt in full because the repayments can be quite high now and that reduces your borrowing capacity. Uh, And if you have children uh, that are in private schools, then most, if not all, banks are going to include the fact that you've got this private school fees uh, that's going to reduce your borrowing capacity. 
Although if your kids are in year eight or later, some banks will actually exclude uh, school fees. So again, finding the right bank that's going to have the right borrowing capacity is really important. So there you go. There's some tips to help you maximise your borrowing capacity. Of course, everyone's situation is different. All lender policies are different and so forth. These are just generic tips. So there could be more things that you can do to extend your borrowing capacity. If there's anything that we can help you with from a borrowing capacity mortgage broking perspective, you're most welcome to reach out to our senior mortgage broker, Jody McEwen, uh, and her contact details, email details, are on the blog on the website. So if you need that help, reach out to her. She's got heaps of experience. Okay, that's it for me for this week. Until next week, bye for now.